When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't feel brave. And often whenever people say, like, you're so brave, I my knee-jerk reaction to that is, like, what am I brave? Like, how am I brave? <laughs> is it brave to, like, be fat and naked on the Internet? Hey y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, where we find out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And today we're talking about yoga with the amazing woman you heard at the top. My name is Jessamine Stanley. I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a writer. I'm the author of Everybody Yoga, Let Go of Fear, Get on the Mat, Love Your Body. And I'm the host of the Stitcher Premium podcast, Jessamine Explains It All. And Jessamine isn't just a yoga teacher, Caroline. She's an amazing yoga teacher. She travels all over the country teaching Hatha-style classes, and she's also got classes available online, and that's where this old gal learned to do the malasana pose, which I like to call the poop squat, (laughs) even though no pooping is involved. (laughs) Most of the time. Yeah, just to clarify. And the other thing Jessamine is super well known for is her Instagram. She's been posting photos of herself for years, and it's gotten her a ton of attention. One reason, Jessamine's body is big. And big bodies practicing yoga is something we almost never see, especially pop culturally. And also she's brown. Jessamine is a proud black queer woman born in North Carolina. And if we just pull up her Instagram right now and start scrolling, one thing that jumps out to me personally is how Jessamine unabashedly shows her roles, her like flesh roles, the kind of roles that like we're taught are unladylike and that we're supposed to stand up straight and suck our stomach in and never let anyone see that. You see her cleavage, her thighs, sometimes even like her bare breasts. Like Jessamine is literally bearing it all. And she looks super strong and happy while doing it. Let's be honest. That woman is smiling in poses that I could not accomplish at this day and time. And just for comparison, let's Google image search the word yoga and see see what Google thinks a yoga body looks like. Right off the bat, lots of thin white women, sweat-free, very, very limber and dimple-free Hey, there's women. Jessamine. There's uh, Jessamine. If you keep scrolling down, there is, there is Jessamine. She is literally breaking the mold, like, through the Google image results. Nice. I love that. I mean, all these women look pleasant enough. They look bendy. (laughs) But it's a much daintier, obviously whiter and thinner picture of who does yoga and what a yoga body looks like. Yeah, I mean, Jessamine's totally breaking some very ladylike rules about who's quote unquote allowed to do yoga. So today we're taking a deep downward dog dive with Jessamine and breaking things down in a yoga specific unpack the clap trap to figure out 
how did yoga become so ladylike? And why do people think it's supposedly so brave for a fat Black woman to proudly step onto her mat? I've got to admit something. And that is that I have not done yoga in a really long time. Uh, I used to go a lot. I wanted to be super flexible um, for inappropriate reasons. Caroline, c- come on. This is unladylike. None of this uh, this pussyfooting around. <laughs> inappropriate reasons. Yeah, speaking of pussyfooting, yeah, I-, I wanted to be more flexible for sex, which is why I initially started doing yoga my freshman year of college. And I loved it. It was so great. And I, I-, I got rave reviews. For your sexual positions? Yes. Damn. I know, but I've I've kind of given it up because I can't really— Because af- you've stopped having sex. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've actually entered a convent. <laughs> Not many people know that about me. But no, I haven't really done it in a while because I can't really afford to go to studios, and I'm apparently, like, too lazy to download videos at my own house. Well, I got to say, Caroline, that what keeps me from going to yoga sometimes, in addition to the fact that we have not struck podcast gold and I cannot afford all those fancy yoga classes right now, uh, it's the intimidation factor. Or I should say, like, the sweaty intimidation factor because, Caroline, I'm a sweater. I'm a yoga sweater. And it's kind of embarrassing to think about going to a yoga class and sweating my butt off and my vag off, to be honest. For sure. In front of a bunch of gorgeous women. And it can be hard to feel good about my body when I'm just (laughs) covered in sweat, even in a class that's supposed to help me do just that. Oh, totally. And Jessamine actually kind of felt similarly uncomfortable when she first showed up to a yoga studio almost 15 years ago. So it was a Bikram yoga class. I was 16. I went with my Aunt Tracy. She was really into Bikram yoga at the time. It The thing about that practice also is that it's like a little bit of a cult. And I say that in the most loving way. It's no shade on cults, but it's like kind of a cult. Okay, so if y'all have never tried Bikram yoga, it's basically hot yoga. Yeah, a.k.a. one of my least favorite things on the planet. It's really intense. You're in a hot room. It's over 100 degrees. You're in there for 90 minutes doing a series of set poses while, you know, essentially sweating to death. And Jessamine says that her first time, she was the youngest and the fattest person in the room. It was, it was a lot. I don't know about y'all, but when I was 16, I didn't understand. Like, if it wasn't fun and happy, I was not trying to do it. So when you go into a yoga studio that's sweltering hot and it reeks, okay, they have carpeting, which is, like, it has held so much perspiration. Like, who even knows? (laughs) Gallons, right? So it's, like... It is ripe. You, the poses are so hard. The breath work just alone is so complex. And it really, um, like at the time, I was just like, I am not here for this. About a third of the way into the class, Jessamine left. Yeah, basically like, Aunt Tracy, (laughs) love you, mean it, see you after class. (laughs) Which I got to say, been there. I have walked out of a hot yoga class uh, before when I thought I was going to throw up. And left your Aunt Tracy behind, too? Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) bye, Aunt Tracy. Okay, Caroline, so how did a yoga hater who left in the middle of a Bikram class become this yoga goddess icon of body positivity? Well, to understand that, we've got to back up a little bit. So how would you describe uh, young Jessamine? Growing up in North Carolina, 
<laughs> Young Jessamine um, was bossy, um, was um, very active and different um just all I was always just doing the most like as a child I was Hermione Granger for sure Jessamine was a super involved theater kid with a hard habit of perfectionism which is really just starting to sound like my adolescent years now (laughs) but Jessamine was also the fattest girl in class and one of the very few black kids at school she was so badly bullied throughout her elementary and middle school years that she actually took it upon herself to find and apply to the scholarship program that helped her go to a private school and just get away from those kids. Then in college, Jessamine started drinking pretty heavily, which many of us do, and she was depressed. And she immediately started a graduate MFA program that she wasn't 100% sure about, and in short, she was just struggling. Meanwhile, it seemed like yoga was all up in her face everywhere she looked. She would read her horoscope and it'd be like, hey, Jessamine, take yoga. She's like, shut up, horoscope. And then her friends were like, hey, Jessamine, you should really try yoga. And she's like, enough, friends. And she finally cracked, though, in graduate school when a classmate from her MFA program basically peer pressured her into getting a Groupon for, you guessed it, Bikram yoga. Ironically, I went back to the exact same style. So everything about it had stayed the same. I mean, it's the McDonald's of yoga. It was still so hard. Everything about it was so difficult. I was older, but I was still the fattest. And I was also one of very few people of color. I want to say I was the only black person, but honestly, I don't remember. So let me not be out here making, saying shit that people (laughs) could maybe fact check. Um, But I was very much, like, self-conscious about myself. And when we would practice the postures, I would get into this mental space where I would just be, like, talking shit about myself so hard. So let's say that the pose is um, awkward pose. This is a variation on chair pose. And um, and I guess if you're listening to this and you're like, what awkward pose? What chair pose? The device that's playing this also has Google, and Google knows all about it. So just... <laughs> Hook it up. But so we're practicing um, this pose. And like I would immediately start to bend myself into the chair shape and just like be like, oh, my God, this is so hard. I can't do it. And in Bikram yoga, the studios all have mirrors so that you can look at yourself. It's specific to that practice. But as a fat bodied person, a bitch has never been taught to look at myself in a mirror. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like nobody looks. Fat people are not allowed to look at ourselves in mirrors or in pictures. And um, as soon as I started to get into that judgmental space where I'm like, oh, my God, my arms are so big. My stomach is so fat. My neck is just, God, I'm just so gross. You know, I would there's no way for me to practice at all. I just sit there being mad at myself and hating myself, hating the teacher, sure, hating the practice, I guess. But really just hating myself. And after a while, I would be like, okay, cool. So are you going to do this for the whole 90 minutes? Because, like, you can, but you also paid for this. So, I mean, you could just try to do it. And, like, yeah, maybe you'll fall over. Maybe you're not going to be able to practice it like the person next to you. Okay, accept that. Maybe you could just try. In that first class back, and slowly in class after class, Jessman starts to let go of that. That mindset that she'd been carrying around since her Hermione days, all that self-criticism, that need to do everything right, that perfectionism. Instead, she started focusing on her breathing 
and respecting her edge, as we say in yoga class. And she found herself taking risks with new poses and actually doing that terrifying act, which is looking in the mirror. And when I started to release that, it didn't just have an effect on my yoga practice and being able to see a change in the physical postures. It had a really big effect on the rest of my life as well. It gave her the self-confidence to make some pretty big changes. She left her MFA. She moved to a new city for love. And she decided to enroll in a culinary arts program and started working at a tapas restaurant. But at this point, her Groupons had long run out, and practicing at a studio was too expensive for a grad school dropout. So this time, when things got stressful, Jessamine rolled out her yoga mat at home. I would practice like eight to ten poses from the Bikram sequence that I felt comfortable practicing. But Jessamine missed the instruction from a teacher, the guidance, the community of being in a classroom, and so she decided to start posting pictures of herself to Instagram. She'd set up her phone on the other side of the room and take a picture of herself in whatever pose she was doing. And it's funny, in her early photos, you know, you can see her couch in the background, her cat's looking at her like, what are you doing? She's usually just wearing a sports bra and some yoga pants. Honestly, she hoped people would see the photos and give her some yoga tips. But I noticed when I would post pictures of my yoga practice that the responses I got from people It wasn't really, like, that many people giving me feedback on my practice. It was mostly people being like, I didn't know fat people could do yoga. And I would just be like, why do you think fat people can't do yoga? Fat people do all kinds of stuff all the time. And, like, clearly we have a visibility problem. So this is a a really fascinating turn, taking those comments, which— could either understandably, like, cause someone to be like, fuck you, Instagram, I'm, I'm peacing out, um, but rather see it as an opportunity. And I'm curious why that was for you. Yeah, if it had just been people saying, like, wow, I didn't know a fat person could do yoga, I'd be like, then bitch, get eyes, because everybody does everything. Like, I don't know why you're concerned about that. But on top of that, it was people being like, I didn't know fat people could do yoga. I'm a fat person. Can I do yoga? And so my response to that is, hell yeah, you can do. In fact, you should. And in fact, it's not just fat people. So that, like, there'd be so many different kinds of people who would reach out to me being, and like, wow, I didn't know that someone who looks different than what society tells us they should look like is allowed to do whatever they want. This is inspiring me to do whatever I want. And that, to me, was a motivator to continue to engage with the community. And the community was for sure engaging back. Jessamine's Instagram account started growing photo by photo. She was posting videos of herself working through a sequence. She was offering her own advice for complicated poses. And you better believe she brought her personality along for the ride. This was no, like, straight-laced, candlelit, all-white yoga session. No Enya playing in the background. No, she was playing Lauren Hill in the background. And she would encourage her followers to try yoga themselves if they were too nervous. And eventually, she started getting messages from people asking her to come teach them where they were. They'd be like, can you come teach me in Sweden? Can you come to Melbourne? Can you come to, like, Venezuela? I don't know, dude. Like, literally everywhere. Jessamine was flattered, but she wasn't convinced that the world needed more yoga teachers. It wasn't until after her friends and even her parents encouraged her to pursue teaching that she gave in and decided to get some training. But there was still a problem. 
Because Caroline, becoming a yoga teacher or going through YTT or yoga teacher training can cost between two and $3,000. And as a grad school dropout working at a tapas restaurant, like Jessamine is not making that kind of dough. But her parents actually stepped in and helped her, which was a financial burden for them, but a very cool way to support her. So she quit her day jobs and enrolled. Going in, Jessamine figured she'd get this credential, learn how to do all the hardest poses, and that'd be that. But about halfway through the, through the training, we were doing this partner yoga exercise, and I was paired with someone who is much smaller than I am. She is like five feet tall. I don't know how much you weigh when you're that when you're that height, but she's like that amount. Um, so, and then I'm me, so we're on opposite sides of the spectrum. And as a fat-bodied person, I have spent my whole life being paranoid about even touching somebody in a way that could hurt them. Like, I'm, I'm afraid that, like, if I sit too close to someone that I could hurt them. Like, there's this constant obsessive thought about the weight and needing to apologize for the weight. And so the idea of being in this environment where I would have to physically put my entire body weight onto this, like, very tiny person was horrifying to me. And so I spent, like, every time that I would even touch her, I would apologize. Every time I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. And after a while, she stopped me put her hands on my shoulders literally and looked in my eyes and was like, you do know you don't have to apologize for everything, right? And I laughed because laughing is one of my defense mechanisms. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I guess I just was apologizing for existing. And to hear me say it, she just cocked her eyebrow at me and like went back to the practice. But I was shook. I was like, are you kidding me? I think I don't deserve to exist. I think I'm, I'm apologizing for existing. Is that a, how long have I been thinking that? Like, have I been thinking that since birth? This realization, Caroline, was a major breakthrough. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the centuries of yoga claptrap that Jessamine did break through. And then we'll hear how that influenced her own practice. Namaste tuned, y'all. Sun salutations to you, fair listeners. We're back. And we just heard about Jessamine's breakthrough moment in her teacher training course where she realized she'd been harboring some pretty upsetting feelings about taking up space, which honestly is something a lot of us confront regardless of what our bodies look like. I mean, as girls, we're so often taught that shrinking ourselves is the most ladylike thing to do. Yeah, but as Jessamine's journey illustrates, Caroline, Radical things can happen when we dare to go there to claim our space, especially a space like a yoga class. And Caroline, whenever we start talking about idealized lady bods, you know what we've got to do. Oh, it's time to unpack the claptrap. Yeah, it is. This is a segment where we slip on our feminist glasses and figure out why things are the way they are. And when we look at what yoga is today, we know it's mostly women, mostly white, and mostly wealthy folks. 
There was a study from Yoga Journal in 2012 that said that 70% of practitioners are women and about four-fifths of those are white. But, I mean, P.S., grain of salt on that because that study was back in 2012. The yoga industry has, like, boomed since then, so that number is probably different. Uh, You also should keep in mind, though, that, you know, a lot of yoga studios are concentrated in wealthier neighborhoods, and most classes are going to run you more than 10 bucks a pop, which really adds up. So it makes sense they would be in wealthy neighborhoods because that's where people who can afford to take the classes live. But if you want to talk about money, Caroline, let's talk about how commodified the yoga industry has become. It is a $16 billion business in the U.S., alone. Athleisure wear makes up 20% of the entire apparel market now, which I'm totally fine with. Oh, for sure. Hail sweatpants. Yoga mats alone are an $11 billion industry. Okay, so new business plan. Screw the t-shirts and mugs. We need to add uh, yoga mats, and we're going to put our logo all over it, and we're going to make a bajillion dollars. And I would like something on it that would just wick away all my badge sweat. Yes, I will also buy that product for sure. Uh, Okay, but moving on. Uh, What do we know? We know that there are some societal expectations of who does yoga. We know that those are very ladylike expectations. But we also know, hello, that yoga started as a spiritual practice for men in India like thousands of years ago. So how do we connect the dots here? How did we get from where yoga began to where it is today? Well, Caroline, we don't have time for all those details in this podcast. But for our purposes, we can trace almost every facet of today's westernized yoga culture and lifestyle onto one woman. One woman. And she's actually kind of a rule breaker herself but like a really Zen one. I would like first to explain you what meditation is, and then we will do a little exercise on concentration, because most people in the Western world are not taught how to concentrate their thoughts, and it may be rather difficult for them to start to meditate. This is Indra Devi. She was born Eugenia Peterson to a Russian aristocratic family, so yes, she was a wealthy, thin white lady. But she was one who really wanted to break out of the shell she was born into and particularly to pursue something she was captivated by ever since she found this book when she was a teenager called 14 Lessons in Yogi Philosophy and Oriental Occultism. Okay. Yeah, I feel like it was like her moment of like finding a Ouija board or something (laughs) like that. Now, we should note that at this point in the early 20th century when Indra is growing up, India was a colony of the Brits. So there's a lot of cultural exchange or really a lot of cultural expropriation going on. And yoga was no exception. At this time, it was really evolving away from exclusively spiritual practice and starting to intermingle more with the physical health culture and gymnastics that the Brits were importing, making it into that physical hatha yoga that we think of a lot of times today. And Indra was all about it. So she became a diplomat's wife and ended up in India. And at the time, the yogi of all yogis was this dude named Krishnamurti who exclusively trained young British boys. And Indra was like, hey, you know what? He, he could teach me too. So she goes to talk to him and he's like, oh, you know, thanks, no thanks. But Indra was not dissuaded. Instead, she went around his back and called up her old friend, the Maharaja, and was like, hey, Maharaja. And he was like, hey, Indra, what's up, girl? And she's like, well, I want to learn yoga, but this guy won't let me because I'm a woman. He was like, let me make some phone calls. (laughs) 
And long story short, she becomes trained by Krishnamurti. She ends up taking her yoga to China, and then her husband dies. And then <laughs> in 1947, she's like, you know what? Uh, my husband's dead. New Indra. New continent. Let's go to Hollywood. Oh, living her best life. Uh, she really was. And in Hollywood, where celebrity culture has really starting to come into its own at this time, Indra's gift of gab keeps paying off. Like, she's excellent at networking because very quickly she befriends A-listers of the day, Greta Garbo and Gloria Swanson, who I would say they were kind of like the Jennifer Lawrence and Kate Blanchett oh. <laughs> of Hollywood at the time, uh, who became yoga converts. I mean, you can even Google image Marilyn Monroe practicing headstands that Indra taught her. Okay, like, the, the thing about Marilyn Monroe doing headstands is, like, super cool, but I feel more mind-blown about imagining Greta Garbo doing yoga, and so I... I'm just trying to picture, like, her with her super sharp eyebrows and, like, a yoga outfit. I have no idea what that would look like. So the yoga outfits back then were kind of like hot pants and little little crop tops. They were kind of cute. cute. Yeah. There's a glorious photo, though, of uh, Gloria Swanson in a lotus pose looking positively majestic. Oh. So by the 1950s, we see this celebrified status symbol spreading among, like, the beauty tastemakers of the day, which then, of course, passes along to their wealthy white housewife clientele. Mm. So, you know, anyone who was anyone, all the ladies who were lunching were doing some yogas. I mean, just check out this newsreel clip we found from 1956 about yoga being added to any and every form of physical training. There's no need to stand on your head to find out what these young girls are doing. But this is the sort of scene you might expect to find on a visit to Tunbridge Wells in Kent, where at the Leggett School of Ballet, yoga exercises are part of the curriculum. Well, so going back to Indra, though, I mean, it seems like what she was selling is what keeps us hooked on yoga culture today. You know, a lot of it's aspirational. It's associated with celebrities and status and physique. But the thing is, the whole Indra Devi revolution wasn't all bad. She didn't just come in and, like, pull a Gwyneth Paltrow and, like, <laughs> goopify everything. She presented yoga as part of an entire lifestyle that included healthy eating, meditation, mindfulness. And side note, she was very pro-choice. Okay, Andra. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what she was ultimately doing was kind of providing this model of selfhood for women, which was revolutionary at the time. And as opposed to pre-modern yoga, which was all about the obliteration of self. Mm -hmm. But what Devi does and like her school of yoga thought approaches it as a way to find yourself, to develop yourself, and also to respect yourself. Like, yes, we can get on a mat and find <laughs> our deeper selves and become better people. Like, Americans are always trying to fix themselves. I'm not getting off of this mat until I know how to find myself in 20 minutes or less. That's right. So that's Indra's role in the yoga movement. But what I think is really interesting is that this whole thing we've been talking about, Caroline, this trope of yoga that it's only for white, thin women, it's been here. It's been here right in front of us, kind of in plain sight. And even though it may have been in smaller numbers, we know from journal entries and letters that Black women were also practicing yoga at the same time as all these white celebrities. But of course, in pop culture, they were 
totally erased. So you had a lot of white celebrities. Were there any big names in the black community who were doing yoga? Well, try this one on for size, Caroline. Rosa Parks. What? Yes. I didn't know that. She was actually in the lotus position on that bus, don't you know? (laughs) So basically then, it just sounds like we've been sold that idea that it's just white ladies in the U.S. doing yoga. But we don't have to keep buying it. No, we don't. What we can buy into is that yoga does have some pretty fantastic real benefits. So let's break those down. Well, for one, it obviously can reduce anxiety. And I say obviously because, like, that's touted in every single write-up of yoga ever in existence ever. Um, But there was this Georgetown study of younger girls in the juvenile justice system that we found actually that found that yoga also has some major trauma healing potential for girls who've dealt with abuse and have PTSD. It really helps them reconnect with their bodies and process their emotions. And it's reasonable to expect that those same results are seen for people of all ages. And consistently, studies have found a strong connection between practicing yoga and particularly like the length of time that you practice yoga like you're really getting into this you're not doing your group on drop-in class every now and then dang it (laughs) but the more people practice yoga the higher body esteem they report and the more satisfied um they they seem to be with themselves which makes it even more important then that we continue to make sure yoga isn't isolated in this weird bubble of unattainable ladylikeness to make sure that everyone can access it right and the good news is there's a lot of effort to make that happen on the one end for the past few years now there has been a trend of black owned yoga studios opening up we saw a piece about this in ebony magazine from 2014 and you're also though seeing more of these community-oriented classes that are really remixing yoga specifically for groups who (laughs) might not want to be in that Google stock image class of sweat-free white women. (laughs) Um, But today, Jessamine really is on the forefront of this effort we're talking about. She offers pay-what-you-can classes. She has her book. She has her podcast. And not to mention her magical Instagram. Okay, happy babies. When we get back, we're going to pick up with Jessamine and find out how her breakthrough moment influenced her teaching style and how being an Insta star impacts her own body image. That's coming up next. We're back with Jessamine Stanley. And when we left off, she was confronting some pretty unhealthy ideas that she realized she had about herself. I was like, are you kidding me? I think I don't deserve to exist. I think I'm, I'm apologizing for existing. Is that a, how long have I been thinking that? Like, have I been thinking that since birth? What the fuck? And at that moment, when I had that realization, I started crying. And I cried for the rest of the practice. I cried through Shavasana, our final rest. I cried in my car. But the reason that you come to YTT is to cry. It's to release these things that that are holding you back that you don't even know are holding you back. Like, we blame so many things for our unhappiness. Like, I blame my family. You know, I blame my relationships. I blame the work. I blame, the, you know, I blame society. 
society. Like, you want to point a finger at everything. But when you're fundamentally believing, I don't deserve to exist, that's something to work on. And that glimmer of truth, even if that was the only time that ever happened, I will show up to practice, to do this practice of yoga every day if, it, if I could potentially have a moment like that again. Jessamine's experience in her training course completely drives the way she teaches her own classes today. She wants to try to help other people dig deep and unearth their own baggage. And that means meeting them where they're at, which I can say from taking one of Jessamine's online classes, she does incredibly well. Check this out. All right, guys, so today's class is going to start out with child's pose. Child's pose is an asana that people always think is really easy, but if you're bigger bodied, you know that this pose can be some bullshit. So you come here onto your knees. Now, traditionally in this asana, you have the knees together here like this, but if you have a big belly, look what happens. Oh my God, this is awful. I'm not trying to do this. So what I like to do to make space for my belly, separate my knees far apart. And some people, the way like, that oh, I yeah, do it may not resonate apart. for everybody. And there are many people who may like walk a completely different path from me. But as long as there's a person who would ask me to teach them to practice in the way that I am practicing, then I have an obligation in my practice to do that. So that after YTT, I was like, all right, I'm going to make a list of everywhere that people have ever asked me to come teach. And in my mind, I'm literally just working my way down through that list. Jessamine's taught yoga classes all over the country and the world. But as teaching has deepened her practice, Jessamine's relationship with social media has become a little more complicated. There are so many people who seem to be positively impacted by seeing an authentic and genuine human being who accepts their flaws. This isn't even just saying, like, it's just fat people or it's just fat black queer women or, like, whoever. It's not just one group. Like, I am inundated by positive um, responses from people who, of all different shapes, sizes, ethnicities, um, fucking abilities, age, everything. Like, there's so many different people who feel as though they should not love themselves as they are today. And those are the people that Jessamine's posting for and teaching for. Well, I'm curious, when have you and how often have you encountered women who look more like you? Uh, all the time. I mean, even before I started um, teaching, I did feel like I was not unfamiliar with larger-bodied practitioners at all. Like, the only reason that we don't see fat-bodied people practicing yoga in the mainstream is because we live in a white patriarchal society where they block out literally fucking everything that a white <laughs> heterosexual cystic <laughs> would not want to have sex with. So as a result, or that they're not taught to want to have sex with. So everything that does not fit into that category, you just don't see. I would say that my classes are the most diverse classes that I have ever seen, ever. But um, because they're, it's not just larger body people and it's not just like, it's not just any one kind of person. There's literally any human being could walk into a class with me. And I think that more than just specifically seeing more larger-bodied people because I'm larger-bodied, I just see people who have felt as though they need to hide themselves and now feel as though they don't have to hide themselves. 
do you notice a difference when you're in a room filled with you know the google image results of yoga <laughs> which is just like the all like thin white women um versus the kind of environment that that your classes have become i really think that um it doesn't necessarily matter um the student makeup is not really very relevant. I think that what matters more is the energy that the teacher is creating um, because some of the most body positive classes that I've been to have not been taught by people who are larger bodied or black or queer or anything. Like it's, I mean, one of the most body positive teachers that I've ever had is a like six foot two cisgender heterosexual white guy. So like, I feel like it's a lot of it has to do with, is the teacher creating an environment that is meant to be competitive? Are they creating a space that is judgmental, a space that is, um, you know, where it would be unacceptable to wear certain things or to move slower than everyone else or to um, use a lot of props, but maybe no one else is using props. The only thing that I do to foster a body positive space, it has nothing to do with size or anything. I just want everyone to feel like it's cool. You can show up exactly as you are, and it's totally fine. If you need to use a wall for stability because you cannot find balance without it, bitch, set yourself up by a wall. If you need to use more props than anyone else is using, get all the props that you need. And I, I just try to do that by being accepting of myself. But Jessamine is also the first to admit that getting to that place, that place where she can accept herself, is not something she mastered overnight. In fact, she often thinks about body shaming as an ongoing addiction. Yeah, I mean, body shaming is one of the first things that I really learned how to do. And it's it's rough because, like, honestly, I would say that most people learn to body shame from a pretty young age. It's, like, totally condoned by our society. We live in a society where it's totally appropriate to be horribly mean about ourselves and other people. It's expected. If you don't do it, then people think that you're strange. So, like, I was socialized to do that, and I was socialized to be harder on no one else but myself. A lot of people think, like, you know, how do you how do you become body confident? Or, like, how do you love yourself? And how do you—they think there's going to be, like, some magical, like— incantation that I'm going to give or like some magic potion or or like spell or something where it's like, yeah, if you do exactly this or say these words at this specific time and you do it enough, then one day you'll just always feel great about yourself. That is not a thing. And I think of it like an addiction because it is an addiction. <laughs> like if you're addicted to something, you reach for it even when you know it's bad for you, even when you know you shouldn't because you can't stop yourself. And that is what that feeling is like. It's like I can't stop myself. Like I feel like I feel like I have to, even though I know it's bad for me. I know that I feel like I have to. And I feel like three decades of body shaming that's I'm I'm not coming back from that. Like I can I can do my best every day to to steer the ship, to catch the moments. And that means like it's a very active and conscious thing that has to happen every single day. Like I have to catch the moments where I'm hating on myself in the mirror in the morning when I'm like, oh 
fat girls shouldn't wear dresses that short. I have to catch that and say, do I really think that fat girls don't deserve to wear dresses like that? Where is this coming from? Do I think I don't look good in that dress? If I'm if I'm loving how I look in that dress, then I'm loving how I look in the dress, regardless of what society says. Like, I literally have to have that conversation. When it's lunchtime and I'm looking at the food that I'm eating and I'm thinking, like, because I'm food is a whole thing for me where it's like, what do people think about the things that I'm eating? So that, like, actually coming into conflict with that and being like, do you really think that you should be eating more salad because of your body? Or do you think that you feel better when other people see you eating salad? Where is that coming from? Is that is that how you want to be? Do you really want, like, really having that? So that it means that you're having very unpleasant interactions with yourself all the time. It is not fun to accept yourself. This is not, like, a really pretty... People want to make it look pretty. That's why I would say, like, social media makes it look really glamorous. It's not. It's messy, and it's hard, and it is so very rewarding. And as hard as it is, what what awesome thing doesn't take work? You know, it takes a lot of work, but it's totally worthwhile. Now, Caroline, one word that Justman runs into a lot is the word she was talking about at the top of the show, brave. But she has a hard time accepting it as a compliment, which is understandable because in our skinny-obsessed culture, at times being called brave for just showing your body as it is, if it's not skinny, can feel a little condescending. But I also feel like... um After a certain point, I do have to accept that it does require a certain amount of bravery to step outside of society's norms and say, literally to just give the middle finger to to what we've been taught to believe about ourselves. And because I feel like if you are going to be happy on a day-to-day basis, you have to accept who you are. And if that means putting yourself out there for other people to see, then that's what it means. And if you, if that's what people are going to categorize as bravery, then it is, bravery is required in order to be happy. So to me, it's not really like, it's not a choice. It's not something that's up for debate. It's not something that needs to be um, awarded. It's just like, I just, I got to do this shit if I'm going to survive. And we have one last question. Very serious. <laughs> what is the most unladylike thing that has ever happened to you during your yoga practice <laughs> that you are willing to publicly share? <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. So many things. <laughs> um I peed myself on my yoga mat. Um, I was teaching in London, and it was like a packed studio in a hot, hot studio. And I'd already sweat so much, and I had to pee really bad. And it was at the end. We were um, Everyone was in their final rest in Shavasana. And I was like, I could run to the bathroom, but this the energy in here is so dope. I don't want to leave. And then while I was deciding if I should go pee, I just peed. And it because it's a hot studio, if anybody asked, I'm prepared to just be like, oh, yeah, I sweat a lot. It's like a big puddle. <laughs> but like, if you smell it, you would obviously know not. And I remember like there was this really, really traditionally attractive, like, um, cisgender heterosexual guy in like the very front row it turned out later he came up to me he's a model and he was like I was like oh shit he knows that I be <laughs> but he was like oh my god it's the most amazing experience I feel so great which is also proof of like you know we the world is a rainbow like he like looks like 
That guy could be on the cover of Yoga Journal or whatever, and we had like a really profound spiritual moment together, and and it all happened while I peed. Uh, I can think of no better way to end this episode. Totally. And Caroline, I got to say, personally, this really puts in perspective my uh, my vulva sweat <laughs> embarrassment because if Jessamine, that yoga queen, can, can pee her mat and be cool with it, you know what? I need to learn to be cool with my sweaty veg. If you love the wisdom that Jessamine was dropping for us today, you can find plenty more of it on her new podcast, Jessamine Explains It All. And you can only find it on Stitcher Premium, y'all. So go to stitcherpremium.com slash unladylike for a month-long free trial. You'll find Jessamine's show and unladylike ad-free. We will also pop some links to Jessamine's Instagram and other resources on our site, unladylike.co. No M. Make sure you also keep up with our show by following at Unladylike Media on all the socials. And get actually good news about women in the world every week by subscribing to our newsletter. You can find a link in the description of this episode on your pod player. All right, let's do the credits. Claire Rollinson produced this episode of Unladylike. Abigail Keel is our senior producer. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Julie Subrin is our editor. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radlett. And special thanks to Katie Shepard and Soundtrack Studio in North Carolina. And we are your hosts, Caroline Irvin. And Kristen Conger. Next week, we're celebrating a Galentine's Day with Aparna Nanchurla and Joe Firestone. They'll tell us all the secrets to their productive gal palship. I think I was intimidated by no, you. No, that's yeah. not true. Well, I, I was. was intimidated by you. Well, obviously, I found most of my friendships start with mutual intimidation. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So make sure you subscribe to our show and your favorite podcast app so you don't miss it. And remember, got a problem? Get unladylike. My producer, Katie, brought me a LaCroix, and so I'm just feeling, like, really <laughs> bad and bougie and, and chilled. So, like— What flavor? It is a lime LaCroix. I've never had this one before. Mm. Do, y'all, do y'all go in for LaCroix? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm real thirsty on social media about it. Just, like, I'm drinking LaCroix again. <laughs> Hashtag LaCroix life. <laughs> yes. Still here. <laughs> know about it, LaCroix. Stitcher. <laughs>